The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about leadership and love and how they go together. And here we are sitting on the campus of the University of California, and we are hopefully building and evolving with many of the leaders of our, our students here. And all of us want to have good leaders. We look to our our entire globe right now with what's been going on with the virus and the race problems. And we look for leadership. And so we're going to talk about leadership and how important it is and what it really means. And I'm so thrilled that we are having a wonderful guest with us, Steve Mays, who wrote the book, The Power of Three Lessons in Leadership. And he has a a pretty incredible background. First of all, he was born in Charleston, West Virginia. He lives right now in beautiful area of near Washington, D.C., near Dulles Airport. And he has a background in math and engineering. He graduated from the U.S. Naval Academy back in 1974. And he was selected for the Navy Nuclear Power Program. And then he also earned his gold dolphins aboard the USS Los Angeles, which was the lead ship in the Navy's fleet of attack submarines. And he has, the Navy took him from Norfolk, Virginia, to the Mediterranean Sea, through the Panama Canal, Pearl Harbor, um, all over the place. And he had the opportunity to even meet various presidents and first ladies. And he subsequently had a career in safety and risk evaluations of nuclear power plants for the Idaho National Laboratory and also the civilian nuclear power industry in the U.S. and Canada. So he also has a master's degree in electrical engineering, and he has become a leader, obviously. He he lives outside of Washington, D.C., and he even has six kids, including a set of triplets. And so it's kind of interesting. He talks about the power of three. So without further ado, I want to thank you so much, Stephen, for joining us today, this morning. Well, thank you for having me. It's my privilege. Yeah, so uh, let's talk about why you named this the power of three. I named it that because uh, as I was looking at leadership and how I would 
potentially communicate that to young leaders because I think that's where my primary focus is. Um, I, uh, I'm married to a coach, and the coach tells me that when you call a timeout and you get your team in a huddle, you never tell them more than three things because they can't remember more than that when they go back out to perform. And that, that resonated with me along with the fact that I have triplets, and I started seeing three <laughs> everywhere in the world. So uh, it, was a, it, was, it was a matter of necessity and convenience more than anything else. But when I did that, I, I, I discovered that uh, there are some qualities about the number three that just seemed to appear everywhere, and it seemed like a logical way to group ideas and concepts that I had seen in leadership. And so that was the reason I started with that. Yeah, like the triangle and... All, all this stuff that we see in the pyramids, right? That's all the power of three there, too. So let's talk a little bit about leaders. Are leaders really born? Is it innate, or are they able to to learn and grow and become a leader? Uh, I believe that leaders are made, not born. Um, the reason being that people are born with different capabilities, People are born with different personalities and different means of being able to interact. But everybody who wants to be a leader has to develop skills and develop uh, attributes to be a good leader. And I haven't seen anybody that's born to be a leader. I've seen people that have maybe a little more inclination to leadership than others. But it's really something that you learn to do. It's really something that is taught uh, and is experienced. So... That was my uh, reason for saying that. And, you know, that's I, actually good then. I think that's encouraging then. Someone who isn't alert, alert, you know, a born leader, you know, it isn't innate in them, that they really can acquire these skills and talents to become a good leader, right? Uh, that's correct. There's nothing magical about the things that are in the paradigm for the power of three leadership. Um, everyone is capable of doing them. It's a matter of being able and willing to put the work in and to be dedicate yourself to the concept and to practice it religiously almost uh, so that you can be able to help influence others to do something good. Right, right. So what about personality style? Um, you know, some people may have a very, they're total introvert. What role does personality style really have on leadership? Well, I think uh, personality and style can have an influence with the way you interact with different people. But the thing that I started out from was to look at well, who are the most well-known leaders and say, uh, do they all seem to have the same personality and style? And the answer was no. Right. For example, Churchill doesn't have an awful lot to do personality-wise with Mandela. George right. Patton certainly didn't have much to, in common with uh Gandhi, right, and Eisenhower didn't have that much to do with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. So there are different personalities and styles that can be truly effective as a leader. So it's not the personality and style that defines it. Personality and style is just a characteristic that a person has that enables the way they interact with other people, but is not the actual act of leadership itself. It's what you do with that that's important. Right, right. So let's talk about the three cornerstones of leadership and, you know, why they're so important. Well, there's, there's three levels 
in the paradigm. There is a foundation because anything you ever want to build has to have a foundation or it will crumble. Then if you have a foundation built, you can move on to the challenges. That's the next level. And those are the kinds of things that every leader has to deal with no matter where they come from and no matter what field they're in. And they're the same three every time you look at them. And then the last phase is the achievement phase. These are the things that leaders do to have their group accomplish something. And so that's the levels, achievement, challenges, and foundation. And within the foundation, and this is really important, it's composed of three things, honesty, courage, and talent. Yet we spend almost all of our lives working on our talents, what we know, what we're skilled at, what we're able to do, how we persevere to learn and make them better. And we spend all of our time on talent, and it's important. But without honesty and courage to go with it, that leadership model will catastrophically fail. And the example I use often is asking yourself the following question. Did I ever have a major failure in my life that was due primarily to a lack of talent? I haven't had one that way, and most people I talk to haven't either. And the examples that I use in the book are, did Richard Nixon resign the presidency because he lacked talent? No. Did Bill Clinton lose the House and the Senate to the Republicans for the first time in 50 years and have to pay a million dollars out in a lawsuit and lose his law license to practice for seven years because he lacked talent? <laughs> did, nope. <laughs> did David Petraeus, who graduated from West Point the same day I graduated from Annapolis mm. and was widely considered the greatest tactical and strategic leader in the Army since Patton and MacArthur, did he lose his job at the CIA when it was discovered that he was having an affair with his uh, biographer because he lacked talent? No. Nope. Then here's the next question. What did you get? You went to law school. Yeah. What did you get in your constitutional law class? I got a lot in my constitutional law class. <laughs> what, grade, what, grade did, what grade did you get? I think I got an A. I I. I was law probably, review. You, <laughs> I was you, law review, and <laughs> you probably even, you probably even remember the professor you took. In law oh yeah, school. because yeah, I do remember right. him. Yes, I do. Right, and no matter what what person I talk to with whatever degree they have, whether it's mechanical engineering, literature, or whatever, they can answer those kinds of questions really easily. Here's the questions they can't answer: What did you get in your honesty 101 final exam? Mm-hmm. Or ethics. What did you? <laughs> what What did you get in your capstone project on courage? Right. They They don't teach it there. Right. Right. Exactly. So when we see leaders catastrophically fail because their foundation is weak, and it's almost never due to a lack of talent, why are we surprised? I think we're disappointed more than surprised. Right. Right. And it's because we don't spend, we don't invest, we don't monitor, we don't pursue the honesty and courage pieces of the foundation like we do the talent pieces. You know what's and interesting, though? Um, when you do become a lawyer, to keep your bar license, you have to take credits, right? And that you also have specialty credits. And of your specialty credits... Ethics is one of them, believe it or not. Correct. 
Yeah. No, I, I, I understand that. And, and that's my point is that for the, for the vast majority of people who are going into leadership, if they don't invest in their ability to be honest, which I define in the book as the ability to see the world the way that it is, not the way you want it to be, not the way it could be, not the way you think it should be, but the way that it is. Because if you can't see the world and your situation in it the way that it is, so that you know where you are, how can you ever plan to get to where you want to be? Yeah, yeah. And when you think so, about leaders, and when you think about leaders, you think about people that, you know, I, I think about the people that I, like you talk about Gandhi, who is like, you know, he's my, you know, he was my idol, you know, because of being a mediator and a lawyer and all that. Um, I, I think of people that you really respect, that they have integrity, right? That honesty, right. And, and honesty and integrity kind of go together like a horse and carriage, right? Yes, they do. And so does courage, because yeah. uh, you have to have the ability, and I define courage in the book as the ability to overcome fear, to take action to benefit somebody else, and to do so without regard to the cost to yourself. Right. Feel the fear and do so, it anyway, right? <laughs> right. And so those three, and notice, again, we're talking of threes again. <laughs> so uh, that's the, the foundation, I think. And when we see catastrophic failures of leadership, it is almost always in mm -hmm. the honesty and the courage area rather than the talent. Right. Very rarely do people get to be high up in leadership activities uh, with a, without talent. I mean, that's almost a, a given, although right. it does require a lot of work. Right. But if you can't have a strong foundation without the other two pieces of your foundation. You have to have the honesty, you have to have the courage, and you have to invest in them yourself because it's something that's not normally taught. Yeah, for people to really respect you, you know, I mean, when I think about leadership, some people get leadership because they have the power, right? They have the money, they have the power, or they have something that that they can hold over you, or they inspire you, you know? I mean, the kind of leaders that, that are so exciting, like you talked about, like Gandhi or or, you know, the people who have integrity, they inspire us, right? They don't threaten that's, us. That's, that's absolutely correct. There's, there is uh, a relationship between leadership and power, and it's an interesting one. Power is the ability to uh, control others. Right. Leadership is the ability to convince others to work together to accomplish something. Yeah. So leadership isn't the acquisition of power. It has nothing to do with getting power, but it has everything to do with how power should be wielded. Yeah. And I think of it like uh, real leadership is the ability to influence others and get them excited to want to do the right thing or to do the thing that, that you know, you're trying to get done. So it's like, lead, you know, it's influence rather than power. I mean, I guess that is a absolutely. form of power, right? <laughs> it's a form of power. It is. But, it you is know. Absolutely, it is absolutely influence. It is absolutely getting people so that as a group, you can accomplish more together than you could on your own. Right, right. That's the definition of what leadership really is. Right. Having a group of people 
working together to accomplish something better than and more than you could as individuals. Right. Right, um, so and that they really want to do it rather than they're forced to do it. You know, if somebody wants to follow you as a leader, it's because they are, you know, they're influenced by you. They're, ex- you know, they're motivated by you, as opposed to being fearful. Right. Well, that's that's correct too. The the issue from the way I like to phrase it is that there are two kinds of power that can. Uh, make you do something. One is the power of my power, and the other one is the power of my ideas. Right. The power of my power says, I demand that you show up Monday through Friday from 8 to 5, you dress a certain way, you, you do certain tasks, and you interact with people this way, or you're fired. Right. That's power. Mm-hmm. Inf- influence is, hey, we need to accomplish something together, and it probably works best if we get together at a certain intervals and certain times and do certain things in order to interact with others to make this happen. That's influence. Mm-hmm. That's, that's getting everybody to agree that this is the way we're going to go forward. Right. Um, and that's a different task than just saying, I'm the boss, I'm telling you what to do, so go do it. Right, right, right. So what are the three challenges that all of us as leaders must really confront? Well, the three challenges are um, uh, missed expectations, ethical conflicts, and the problem of despair. Mm. Um, most leaders will spend 99% of their time dealing with unmet expectations mm. because usually you're talking about setting goals, putting together metrics, uh, interfacing with other people, seeing if you make your sales targets, see if you make your production goals, those kinds of things. And so unmet expectations occur because people don't know what to do, they don't know how to do it, or they don't want to. Mm-hmm. And the leader is responsible for the first two. If they don't know what, and they don't know how, or aren't given the tools and money and time and the resources to do it, that's right. on the leader. Right. That's the leader's job. Right. The wanna is the motivation part, which is the person who's trying to do those things has to want to do them. If they mm-hmm. don't want to do them, then they shouldn't be in the organization. Right. So <laughs> leaders have to take ownership of the first two, because I hear people say things like, well, it's not my job to tell people how to do things. It's just my job to tell them what needs to be done. <laughs> my answer is, thank you very much. You've just determined that you're a lousy leader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because you have to tell them what to do, and it has to be in the context of what you're trying to do overall to, to reach your goal. You have to tell them how to do it, or you have to at least ascertain that they know how to do it, and that they have the tools and the time and the resources to do it. For example, uh, if you have uh, give somebody 24 hours worth of work and you only have them work an eight-hour day, they can't do everything. Right. But how many times do you see leaders and governments and businesses and uh, educational institutions just keep adding more and more and more things to people's plate without ever taking anything off? Right. Or without telling them, this is the most important ones. Right, so prioritizing. Do these, mm-hmm. do these first. And if there's time left over, you can do the rest, but if not, let them go. Right, right. Because prioritization is not the order in which you do everything. Prioritization is the order in which you do some things and you do not do others. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That belongs to the leader. That's right. the leader's responsibility. And I think so, to some extent, you know, you were saying the first two were the, re- the leaders, but I think to some extent 
the third part about wanting to do it um, is partially the re- the leader's responsibility to to motivate and to find out what it is that that will motivate or or help them know that they're in the wrong place. You know. Well, that's. We're, we're kind of jumping between the second layer and the third level, but you're correct. Okay. Motivation belongs to the individual. People have motivations. Uh, if you've taken psychology, you probably studied Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. Okay, so people who are existing come in with what they like, what they don't like, what they're motivated by, depending on what their situation is. That's, right. again, part of the honesty of seeing the world as it, the way as it is right. and seeing their world the way it is and making sure that your maps are kind of together. Then, on the higher level and achievement level, I talk about assist, inspire, and depend. And the inspire part is making sure that that person who has a motivation to do something that you all want to do is recognizing and is inspired by the fact that what they're doing is important, that other people depend on it, and that you as the leader depend on it, and the team as a group depends on it, and that they're making a contribution. So from that standpoint, you're correct. That helps with, that helps keep their motivation focused right. on the goals. Right. Uh, but the motivation, actually, they have the motivation themselves. Uh, I don't know anybody who gets up in the morning and says, you know what, I want to suck at my job today. <laughs> right, right. So they have other things that will interfere with their ability to work the job, but they don't come intentionally not being motivated. They come because they want to do something. And it's the leader's job to find out what they can do and what they're motivated to do and arrange for them to be able to make the maximum use of those resources to meet the goals of the group. Right. So that leads us to what's love got to do with all this? I like to do when I uh, talk to people, I ask people, what's the opposite of love? And the first answer you almost always get is hate. Mm. And I say, no, that's not the opposite of love. Indifference. If you you define love, and I'm a math guy, so I have this, you know, kind of a hierarchical way of thinking. Uh, If you define love as a a powerful emotion that compels you to act towards the benefit of others, Uh I think you can pretty much get agreement with that. Yeah. But then hate is a powerful emotion that compels you to act towards others, but to their detriment. So the question I always had was, well, is the result being different make the function different? And the answer is no. Because if you add two and three, you get five. If you multiply two and three, you get six. Does that make multiplication, excuse me, does that make multiplication the opposite of addition? <laughs> no. The opposite of addition is subtraction right. because it's doing it backwards from addition. Right. So, so now the question becomes, if love is a powerful emotion that compels you to act, what's the opposite of a powerful emotion that compels you to act? Indifference. Close. Yeah. People will often say indifference or uh, apathy. That's close, but it's not quite. Mm-hmm. A powerful emotion that prevents you from acting is the opposite of a powerful emotion that compels you to act. And the word for that emotion that prevents you from acting is despair. Mm. When you are in despair, you can't act towards others for their benefit or their detriment. You are frozen up. It's the shutdown button on your soul. 
So you can't lead and you can't follow. So a leader's job in the major challenge is to drive despair out of themselves, out of the people that they're working with, and out of whatever organizational structure they have that may be causing despair in the people that they're working around. Mm-hmm. That's the issue there, and that's why that major portion of the challenge in the Power Three paradigm is drive despair out. Mm-hmm. For example, if you were to lose a child, I can't think of anything worse for a parent to do than to right. have to bury a child. You would be in despair. You wouldn't be able to lead the way you could lead if you didn't have that problem in front of you. So you have to learn how to drive the despair out of your own self and help recognize when other people are in despair and help drive despair out of their lives and your work environment so that you have the opportunity to reach achievement level. Yeah, and we saw so much of that, you know, with this COVID-19, with so much despair in so many different companies where they had to shut her down and had to lay people off. I mean, this is this is like really a test of leadership for owners and for uh corporate heads, you know, to like, turn this around. It's, it's a, it's truly a chance for people to show their leadership. Absolutely. Yeah. So how about in ethical conflicts, which, you know, we've seen a lot of in the news about all the ethics of all these people in high places in our government and other governments. And it's, it's just, depressing in some ways. So what are the three potential options for people to take in ethical conflicts? Well, I I drive these three by going to my favorite leadership books of all time, which is Aesop's Fables. (laughs) And if you remember, there was a story in Aesop's Fables about the emperor's new clothes. Right, right, right. Okay? Yeah. The emperor was there. And some people came in and were conning the emperor into thinking he had on new clothes when he was walking around naked. Okay, so there's where the conflict was. Now, the people of the kingdom were presented with the king in his new clothes. So now what do you do about that? Well, there's three things you can potentially do. You can fix the problem. (laughs) You can say, I can't fix the problem, but I can accept and live with it. Right. Or... If you can't fix it and you can't accept it, then the only uh, other alternative is to leave and say, I can't deal with this, I'm, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Those are the three. Now, when you're in ethical conflicts, everybody gets harmed. Everybody gets hurt. The only choice you have between fix it, leave it, or accept it is how you can best deal with it and survive to move forward in the next part of your life. So mm-hmm. you're always going to be damaged in an ethical conflict. Everyone is. But there's one thing that's most important. If you can fix it, you should, if you can. If you can't fix it, then you should try to accept it. If you can't accept it, then you must leave. But there's one thing that most people or a lot of people do, and I'm going to say this and you're immediately going to think of a face and a name of somebody. There's somebody who can't fix a problem. They won't accept the problem and they won't leave. So they just hang around and bitch about it. Now, when I said that, I know you immediately flashed your mind to somebody you know. (laughs) And sometimes it may have even been you. I know it's been me. But that's the the one thing you can't do, because if you're in an ethical conflict and you don't fix it and you don't accept it and you don't leave it, you hang around and bitch about it, you're not only a cancer to yourself, you're a cancer to everyone around you. 
Right. And there's only one cure for cancer, excision. Yep. yep. So that's the thing. The three things are fix it, accept it, or leave it. And right. this came out of the uh, serenity prayer. Uh, that yeah, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, change the things I can, and know the, and the wisdom to know the difference, for sure. Exactly. I, you know how exactly. many times I say that? <laughs> It's, it's yeah. applicable. It's it's useful and it's a it, it's valuable. Yeah. So yeah, if it's something if, to do that. if I'm in an ethical situation, um, being who I am, I I gently confront immediately. Okay, I can't. And then if I can't get it resolved, then I remove myself. I just but yeah, you know that's, that's the way I am. I cannot. I I have to deal with it right then and there up front. This is not something that's ethical, you know, and I've had to do that many times. And especially being the lawyer, you know, sometimes for nonprofit organizations, I go, hey, this is unethical. We can't do it. And if they don't follow it, I've removed myself. That's the way it is. So I get it. But you know what? Wait, 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 wait. We are out of time. I can't believe it. I'm looking at the time. We are out of time. (laughs) So I just want you to say the name of your book again and your website, and it's time to go. All right. The book is The Power of Three, Lessons in Leadership, and the website is www.powerofthreeleadership.com. Stephen Mays, thank you so much for joining us, and thank you for... you know, helping to build wonderful leaders. We surely need them. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org. On the web, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. and visit our website, conflicthealing.com. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. 